Matthew chapter 1, since we're talking about Christmas, um, this week and next week we're actually going to go through chapter 1. And uh, we're going to start off by going through verses 1 through 17 because these are very compelling verses, as you guys will soon see. Um, Let's just see how the Christmas story begins, shall we? Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Azza. Azza begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Amon. And Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah. And his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheltiel. Sheltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abayud. Abayud begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim. And Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathen. Mathen begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. I'm worn out after reading that. I can can only imagine what it did for you. Um, Mikey, wake up. And and I, I know this is a church... We're reading out of the Holy Bible and you're trying to be polite and look attentive. But how many of you found yourself daydreaming? Like, honestly, just raise your hand. Thank you for your honesty. I found myself wandering off, too, so I can just imagine what you are doing. And, and you know, uh, those people who are, are pretty new Christians and they decide that they're going to read the whole Bible in a year, which I recommend that you do, actually, and how they get all excited and they, and they uh, start out, they go, uh, what should I read? What should I read? Some people say, oh, read Matthew. Start at the beginning of the New Testament. And, they, and they, they turn to it, and then they read this. What a letdown, huh? Like, what in the world? I, I'm supposed to study this stuff? Are you kidding me? You open the Bible, you're all geared up to gain something spiritually, and all you're given is a bunch of names. Hmm. And no wonder why some people never make it through the Bible. They, they start out there, and they're like, what is this? I don't get it. Why all this stuff? Right? And it's kind of tough to understand all this in our culture because it's like entering a sitcom mid-season, right? After it's been aired for years. It's like entering that show Lost. It's like entering the show Lost right now after you've never seen a single episode of it. Right? And my brother-in-law, he he loves that show and he's been watching it since day one. He invited me to watch it um, with him one evening when I was visiting, which, which I thought was really nice of him. Um, but but we don't watch TV in our house, so so I found myself like the show, lost, right? I, I had no idea who was who or what people were doing, and similar to reading the first chapter of this 
book of Matthew, it's the same thing, right? If you're a fairly new Christian or new to reading the Bible, you haven't seen all the character development that goes behind all these people that are mentioned here. And so you lack the information so that it's engaging to you, so that it's interesting to you. And so their backgrounds are mostly found in the Old Testament, but if you never read the Old Testament, then you wouldn't know that. Some of the descriptions of them are also in the New, um, but most of it is in the Old. And it's the first piece of information you have to read in order to get the background to all these people. And it's difficult to understand those characters without having that background. Now, Matthew wrote this gospel to those with this Old Testament background. And it's not that you won't be able to get anything out of the New Testament or the book of Matthew if you if you don't read the Old Testament. You still can. But there's a logical transition for for those familiar with the Old Testament when they read this genealogy. So in our culture, we're taught to have a a catchy intro, right? In your English classes, you're taught to have something that that kind of interests your reader, pulls your reader in. So if we read it with that sort of mindset, this isn't too catchy to us, is it? It's a bunch of names. Not going to work. But, but let's look at this with an ancient Jewish mindset, because if we're able to put on our thinking yarmulkes, this is actually quite fascinating, very fascinating. And for the sake of time, we aren't going to be able to go through all these names. So I just wanted to focus on a handful of them, a handful of Jesus grannies and hence the title Granny's Gone Wild. Whoa, cool. So imagine yourself in that time where there was no Netflix, there's no Blockbuster, there's no real video. By the way, that place is really awesome. Um, they have a ton of documentaries. They have all these foreign films that you won't find anywhere else. And they even allow your dog to go in there. It's, it's awesome. They even give your dogs treats. Needless to say, no form of electronic media whatsoever. So no TVs, no movies, no iPods, no nothing. Their form of entertainment was done in an oral tradition by sitting by a fire, telling stories of old. And one of the things they loved to tell was their genealogy. They loved talking about their Uncle Bob and their Aunt Sue and the rest of their ancestors. They loved talking about what they did and and why they did the things that they did and why those things were so significant. And because of their oral tradition, people actually knew the scriptures because of that. They knew the Torah quite well and well enough that when they heard a name, they knew the story behind that name. So when this story happens and these names are mentioned, they know exactly what that person's talking about. And as these stories get passed on from one generation to the next, it would give the next generation a a sense of belonging, a sense of pride. It gave them their history and identity that was uniquely theirs. And it reminded them that they were God's people. And even to this day, there, there are tribes of nomads in Israel who, who you can talk to for hours and they'll just recite to you their ancestral lineage. And they can go back centuries and tell you about somebody way back then in their family. I can't even tell you the names of my great grandparents. I don't even know their names. And, and part of why we can't easily trace our genealogy unless it's, it's, it's valued in our particular family is that it doesn't have the weight behind why it's so important anymore. And the reason why genealogies were so important to the people of this time was because with it, they established their financial status, they established their legal status, and they established their property rights. And that's why genealogy is important to the Jews today. It helps them establish their property rights as to why they're in Israel. And that's a totally different topic and one that requires much more than what is being done right here. 
And if I were able to sort out all the Middle East conflicts, I, I would be the Antichrist. So we're not going to do that. And all this to say that genealogy is important enough that Matthew mentions it first in his story. Right. And let me give you an example of how this is practically done. For example, in order to be a priest in Jesus day, you, you had to prove that you were a descendant of Aaron. OK. And prove that prove that you belong to the tribe of Levi. So you had to be able to trace your ancestral lineage back to Levi. And even to this very day, the Temple Institute in Israel has identified DNA markers in people in order to recognize who is eligible to be a priest when the temple is reestablished, when the temple is resurrected. Ah, important, huh? So for Matthew to start this gospel account in, in this way is actually quite riveting. It's fascinating. The audience reading this originally would have absolutely loved it. It's, it's like you guys reading Harry Potter, right? So... Matthew starts right away by establishing the identity of the Messiah. He goes right into showing that the anointed one, the Savior, the Messiah, comes from the ancestral line as promised by prophetic scriptures, right? And this is crucial to establish, so Matthew provides it. And the strange thing is why Matthew includes the grannies gone wild. Typically, an ancient Israelite's genealogy only consisted of men's names because women didn't have any type of financial, legal, or property rights back then. And as a reader with the mindset of an Israelite in Jesus' day, it makes sense to start out with David. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Yes, David, the best king ever. Right? We, we know Messiah comes from his lineage. David, yes. Yes, the son of Abraham. And then as a reader, you'd also expect Abraham. Yes, Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. Right? Man, this Matthew guy knows what he's talking about. The two big guns right in front of David and Abraham, right? And so, verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac. Yes, preach it, brother. Isaac begot Jacob. Yes, amen. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Yes, hallelujah, right? And then Judah begot Perez and Zerah begot Amar. Huh? What the? Tamar? Why in the world is a woman's name in there? Why a woman? What are you doing, dude? If you wanted to put a woman's name in there, it should have been Sarah, right? You, but you put this seriously flawed woman in there. You messed it up for us, man. It started out good. Right? But then, for those of you not familiar with Granny Tamar, her story is found in chapter 38, Genesis. And by the way, chapter 38 is rated R. So I'm not going to read it in case there's someone under 17 in here. And I'm going to summarize it for you because you parents can thank me later. The summary. Judah went out to choose a wife for his son, Ur, and he went to the Canaanites where he found Tamar. They got married and he was killed because of his incredible wickedness. And Judah was obligated to make sure that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, was taken care of properly because he took her away from her own people. So he hands her off to the second son, Onan. And Onan is killed for his rated R dishonorable action. So then Judah tells her that she'll marry her other son, her third son, Shelah, when he's older because he's too young right now. But he breaks his promise to her and he breaks the covenant made to her people to care for her. And so she's in a, in a, in a foreign land. Doesn't have any rights to finances, no rights to property from the dead husbands that she had before. Nothing. No legal rights. No idea of what to do next. 
So Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute. And she waits in an area where she knows that her father-in-law is going to travel by. So she's veiled. Judah doesn't recognize her. This just tells you how much care he had for her. None. Because he can't even recognize her voice. Well, he ends up sleeping with her and giving her this signet and this cord and this staff. So essentially he's giving her his, his ID. And as a pledge that he will one day pay her. Then he goes home. And three months later, Judah is told that Tamar is pregnant. Judah gets all self-righteous and orders her out so that she'll be burned. And Tamar is brought out and she says, um, Before you light that fire, um, do you know whose signet and whose cord and whose staff this is? And Judah acknowledges those are his. He repents. And you know, we have a, a huge flannel graph set downstairs for the children's ministry. Don't you love flannel graphs? I love flannel graphs. Growing up as a kid and putting all that stuff up there, I'm willing to bet that this story is not in there. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure because they have a lot of stories. I'm pretty sure this one isn't. And if it is, I'm, I hope my daughters don't see it. Um, and you talk about a dysfunctional family. Some of you have serious family problems, but like this? And anyway, Tamar goes on to give birth to twin boys. One of them reaches the finish line first with his hand. The, mid the midwife ties a scarlet thread around his hand. Why? Because it's very important to keep track of the firstborn as this is the lineage. And the scarlet thread serves as a reminder of, of the inheritance. There is a Messiah that comes through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah. The deliverer will come from this ancestral lineage. The scarlet thread is a reminder that it runs through this person, that it runs through the entire story all the way through Jesus. Matthew puts Granny Gone Wild Tamar in this story of Jesus. Daughter-in-law dresses up like prostitutes to sleep with her father-in-law. And their firstborn is one of the Messiah's ancestors. Crazy, isn't it? Why in the world do you put Tamar in there? Why not women of incredible faith like Rebecca or Rachel or Leah? Uh, Tamar? Come on. My wife reads my sermons every time before I preach them. She reads all of them. She edits them. One of the reasons is because I can say stupid things and offensive things or I can be long-winded or unclear, all of which still happens. But it would be much worse without her, right? But I can just imagine Matthew's wife thinking, you're going to write that lineage of, uh, of Jesus in there. That's awesome. Um, do you know you have Tamar's name in there? She, she's a Canaanite. She's, she's jacked up. As, as people in the flesh, we can include or exclude things. But Matthew, like the rest of the Bible, writes things that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And God wanted Tamar in there. Just like he wanted Granny Gone Wild number two in there. Verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Matthew, what are you doing? Right? Another woman? And at that you mentioned Rahab? Are you kidding me? A Gentile? Another one? Another non-Israelite? She's a pagan for goodness sake. She doesn't even pretend to be a prostitute. She is a prostitute. And isn't it interesting that the Bible has several stories about prostitutes? And in the ancient world and even parts of the world nowadays... If a woman wasn't married and she didn't have the support of her family, her choices are pretty limited. She could die. 
She could beg. She could be a prostitute. And according to the story in Joshua 2, Rahab lives on the outermost edges of the city. The way she made a living caused her to be an outcast, unacceptable to the center of society. And so she's reminded to, to, that you're an outcast. You remain on the outside. And Joshua sends spies to survey Jericho because this is the first city in the promised land that, that was promised to them to, to capture. And they end up at Rahab's place at the edge of the city. And Rahab puts her own life at risk to, to cover these spies and believes that God is on their side because she's seen what God has done for, for them in, in the past. And then she makes a deal with them to save her family. They tell her to put a scarlet cord in the window to preserve her life and her family's. Interesting, isn't it? Scarlet thread with Tamar, scarlet cord with Rahab. And then there's this granny gone wild number three, Ruth. Same thing in verse five. Boaz begat, begot Obed by Ruth. Matthew, another woman, another Gentile. And, and not just any Gentile, a Moabite. Moabites. Do you know what they were? The offspring of Lot and one of his daughters. Are you kidding, Matthew? Incest? You're going to include incestual relationships in here? You're crazy. And the Moabites were viewed as unclean by the Israelites. Well, Ruth's story is found in the book of Ruth, if you ever want to read that one. Summarize it for you again. Not as rated R as the other one. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, they, they lived in Bethlehem. With her, Naomi lived there with her husband. But there was a famine in the land, so, so they took their, their two sons and they went to another country called Moab. And Naomi's sons were married there to, to these women, and they both died there as well as Naomi's husband. They, so all three men died there. Totally devastated, Naomi decides that she's going to return to Israel. And her two daughters-in-law, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and Ruth were from Moab. So she tells them to stay in Moab and find husbands among their own people and, and remarry. She doesn't want to be a burden on them. And Orpah stays, but, but Ruth tells Naomi that she's going to go wherever she goes. The Israelites will be her people and that Naomi's God is going to be her God. And remo- remember, Ruth is a Moabite. The Messiah's lineage includes Moabite blood, a race considered unclean, not only because of being Gentile, but because they're Moabites originating from incest. And then comes Granny number four, Granny gone wild number four, verse six. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba. Not even mentioned by name. Wife of Uriah. What's up, David? Scandalous. Right? The first one mentioned in verse one in the messianic lineage Matthew simply, simply says, David the king and wife of Uriah. Right? He starts out with a bang, David. Everyone's cheering David. And he gets to here and he says, wife of Uriah. Right? He wants people to remember. He wants them to know, to remember that David committed adultery, guys. Don't elevate him all this way. He committed adultery with Uriah's wife. Then he murdered him. Bathsheba was also a Gentile. And you know this because she was married to Uriah the Hittite. And the Hittite was a Gentile. And Matthew starts out with, with a bang with David, with a bang with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Then he throws in these names, Martin Scandal. And mentioning women at the time, were, were, were mentioning women just in general, 
It was an insignificant thing. Women weren't viewed as significant people. And mentioning Gentiles who are also viewed as insignificant, mentioning pagans who are viewed as cursed. What are you thinking, Matthew? What can you possibly be thinking? I think Matthew was thinking that this is not just a simple record of people leading to Messiah. This is about Jesus Christ, who is going to identify with, love, and let into his kingdom people who are not going to look like everybody expects them to look like. This is scandal. This is not going to be respectable-like. Right? Christmas is the gospel, little g, before the gospel, big G. Matthew is saying, with Jesus' arrival, anyone who wants a relationship with Jesus gets one. Because Jesus wants a personal relationship with everybody. He wants everybody to be in his family. Canaanite, Jerichoite, Moabite, Hittite, Addictionite, Murderite, Adulterite, Parasite, Menentite, whatever you want, right? All included, right? So, so you can't think that you've messed up too much. Or that your guilt or your shame is just too much to overcome. You can't think that God can't use someone who, who has done what you, you've done or whatever. Because He's proven that He's greater than all those things. Those questionable things that his ancestral line carried. Jesus overcame. He washed it all. And Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. And that wasn't a compliment. It was an indictment. It was a condemning accusation. Our Messiah, our teacher, our Jesus is more than willing to take the hits over a friendship with you and I. Matthew is the one who tells us that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ... The soldiers put a scarlet robe on his body. Mark writes that they clothed him with purple. John writes that they put him with the purple robe. Interesting that Matthew mentions scarlet. And I believe Matthew is tying the scarlet thread, the scarlet cord, and other references of scarlet throughout the Old Testament, because there are many, to remind us about the stories of, of sinners throughout the Old Testament and how Jesus washed it all clean. There's a remnant of scarlet running all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the stories of old about sinners. And then finally, conclusively, the theme of scarlet is culminated in the one who took all of our sins, Jesus Christ, wearing a scarlet robe. And it's a significant sign of our salvation. The scarlet all the way through to the bloodstained cross. The good news of Scarlet that the hearers and the readers of Matthew would probably know about as they recall the the stories of Tamar and Rahab. Reading this genealogy of Jesus and following him, we begin to have a heart like his heart for people who are far from God, who are on the outskirts of society. And we see how welcoming God is to having a relationship with everybody. And I want to share... A story with you about uh, with um, a story with you by Tony Campolo. And when I when I first heard um, him speak, it was my freshman year in in college during a chapel. I went to a Christian school and they had chapel three times a week, and and it was actually quite good most of the time. And Tony was one of those that was very good. And he's a professor of sociology at Eastern College in Pennsylvania. And if you're familiar with Tony Campolo Campolo at all, you've probably heard this story before, but you can bear with me. Tony was in Hawaii to speak at a conference, so he checks into his hotel and he tries to to get some sleep. 
Well, there's a six hour time difference, right? And so his internal clock gets him up at three in the morning. So he gets up feeling a little hungry and he ventures out into the dark with, with this growling stomach of his. And the streets are quiet and, and most everyone is asleep. And he's out on the prowl for bacon and eggs. Would have had more luck for spam and eggs in Hawaii. But. And he finds himself at a, at a grungy dive in an alley, right? And he, he heads to the counter for a seat and, and this big guy behind the counter asks him, what do you want? And looking for, uh, for food, but he, uh, he sees that it's a really grubby place, so he isn't hungry anymore. And he sees some, he sees some donuts, so he just asks for donuts and coffee. And so this is around 3.30 in the morning, and then, and then all of a sudden the, the grungy dive, the, the door suddenly swings open. And in walk eight or nine provocative and loud prostitutes just finishing their night's work. And they plop down at the counter, and since the place was small, Tony finds himself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking and swearing hookers. He plans on gulping down his coffee really quick and, and making a getaway. But he overhears a conversation between two of them. One of the women sitting next to him said to a friend, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend replies nastily with, So what do you want from me? A birthday party? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday to you? And the woman replies back and says, Ah, oh, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? Why, why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? And after Tony heard that, he made a decision to do something about it. He waited until the women left, and then he asked the big guy behind the counter if the women came every night. The big guy said, Yeah. Then Tony asked, The one right next to me, does she come in here every night? Yeah, the big guy said. That's Agnes. She comes here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? Tony replies, because she said tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think about you and I doing something about that? What do you think about us throwing a little birthday party for here, right here, tomorrow night? And, and a smile crept over the, the big guy's cheeks. And he said, yeah, that's great. I like it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, Hey, come out of here! This guy has a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes' birthday, and he wants to throw a party for her right here. The wife comes out and says, That's terrific. You know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody does anything nice for her. So they make their plans, and Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 the next morning to decorate. And Harry, the guy behind the counter, says he'll make the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, Tony's back at the, at the diner. He picks up some crepe paper and, and some other decorations and, and he made a big sign um, out, of, out of cardboard pieces that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And they decorated the place from one end to the other and, and had the place looking really great. And Harry got the word out on the street about the party and by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. Right? There were wall-to-wall prostitutes. And at 3.30 on the dot, the door swung open and in walks Agnes and her friend. Tony had everybody ready and when they came in, everyone screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! Agnes was flabbergasted. She was stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her knees started to buckle. She almost fell over. Then the birthday cake with all the candles was carried out while they sang, Happy birthday to you. And then she lost it. She sobbed and cried. Harry, who wasn't used to seeing a prostitute cry because they were so calloused, gruffly mumbled, 
Blow out the candles, Agnes. Cut, cut the cake. She pulls herself together, blows out the candle. Everyone cheers and says, Cut the cake, Agnes! Cut the cake! Agnes looks down at the cake, and without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly says, Look, uh, Harry, is it all right with you if I... I mean, what I want to ask is, is, is it okay if I, I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry doesn't know what to say. He shrugs and he says, um, Sure, if, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake. You can take it home if you want. She says, Could I? She asks, and then looking at Tony, she, she said, I live, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be right back. I, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, carrying it high in front of her like it was the Holy Grail, walking slowly out the door. Everyone watched in stunned silence, and the door closed behind her. No one knew what to do next. They looked at each other. They looked at Tony. Tony gets up on the chair and says, What do you say we pray together? And there they all are in a hole-in-the-wall greasy spoon with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning listening to Tony pray for Agnes, for her life, for her health, for her salvation. And Tony recalls praying for her life to be changed and that God would be good to her. And when he finished, Harry leaned over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind, of, what kind of church do you belong to anyway? And in one of those moments when, when just the right words come, Tony answered him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry thinks for a moment in a mocking way. He, he answered, No, you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I, I, yep, I'd join a church like that. You know what? So would I. So would I. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't it be great to be a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Jesus is... Jesus encourages us to be a church like this. And I don't know where we got the idea that church is to be so prim and proper. I'm so glad that the choir robes weren't ironed and they were all wrinkly and stuff. That's, that's, that's great. But anybody who reads the New Testament finds a Jesus who, who loved to hang out with and be friends with outsiders. Those who weren't readily accepted by common society. That's why we're here, church. Regeneration exists because we've all been outsiders to God due to our sin. We all have a sin nature. We are all sinners. We've all been separated from a holy God until we choose to let Jesus, who allowed us for a relationship with God because he took that sin from us. He, he being sinless, took our sins upon himself so that a holy God would see us through the Son who was sacrificed for us. And if you know Jesus, if you've been on the receiving end of his grace, then the question for each of us today is, how's my heart? How's my heart? How's your heart for people who don't know God or who are far away from God? Who are you praying for? Do you have people in your life that you pray for, that you pray come to know God? 
Do you have people in your life that you hope become friends with Jesus? And do you desire to be involved in that process? A little less than two years ago, I went to Nakuru, Kenya for a missions trip with the church interns. And my only daughter at the time, Isabella, was only about a year old. And it was it was the first time I was separated from her overnight. And it was difficult to be separated from my bride and my child, even though it was only for a couple of weeks. And I, I love serving the people in Kenya. I love being there with the kids at Rohi, the, the children's organization that we, we support heavily and, and meeting the kid that my family sponsors. I loved it. He actually writes us letters and he addresses me as dad. He addresses Katie as mom. He addresses Belle and Cece as his sisters. He hasn't adopted my dog, Joey, yet, but um, they don't view dogs the same there. He, he's really puzzled as to why we consider our dog like part of the family. Like he's like, he's a dog. But I love him anyway. I love him anyway. And, and I wish I could adopt him. Uh, but, um, you know, while I was there and enjoying every moment of it, I was I was also filled with the joy thinking about the day I would see my bride and my child again. Belle had just learned to walk not long before I left. So when I exited customs, I was greeted by this clumsily walking baby. Right? And. There are very few ways to top that greeting. Very few. I would challenge anything. Like, there's no way. You're new, newly... Right? And, and it's, it's only cute when they're babies because once they get to be around two, it just starts to be concerning for parents. I go. So, imagine this. That I, as a fallen human man, a sinful groom, a sinful father can be so overjoyed with a reunion with my wife and my baby after a couple of weeks. Can you imagine God? A God who is love. The heart of God. When someone who is heading for an eternal separation from Him comes home. And I still remember the feeling I got when I saw my wife and my baby as though it were yesterday. I remember the excitement. I remember my heart pounding with anticipation. Like, come on, come on, let me go. Uh, why, do, why do you have to check my luggage? Just let me go, right? And, and then when the door slid open and I saw my wife and baby, I don't even know how to describe it to you. I, I don't have words for that. Can you imagine God's heart? Can you imagine God's joy? This is very good news. You are the front page of heaven when you decide to accept Jesus. The angels rejoice, the Bible tells us. And that's why Matthew was inspired by God to write what he wrote. An invitation for anyone to have a relationship with God. There are the outcasts of society on that list. Prostitutes, pagans, adulterers. There are, almost, there are also the most included in society on that list. The kings. The people of great faith. Everyone is welcome. So here's the challenge for us at Regeneration between now and Christmas. A little less than two weeks away. To ask God, who do you want me to invest myself into to take a a closer step to you? The next step to you. Who is it, God? Can can you help me identify someone who, who I can love in your name? Someone I can bless. Someone I can pray for. Someone I can throw a party for. Bake a cake for. This is the time of year when people seem to be a little more open to opening their hearts and their minds to God. For many people in our society, it's a time to reflect on our own spiritual life. And there are many people out there with a Christian background who are no longer in a relationship with God. 
And it's this time of year that they may be more receptive to hearing about Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, there's an opportunity that comes once a year to do things when people seem to be a little bit more receptive to it. And perhaps inviting someone to church or your home group. Perhaps it's something doing something for your neighbor, like baking them cookies or helping them with yard work or any other type of helpful thing. Not that you're wanting to manipulate them, but it seems less awkward to do something like that this time of year. And once one year, my wife baked cookies for our neighbors. And one of them was this guy that lived across the street from us. He's a guy in his upper 50s, early 60s. He's divorced. Um, without any contact with his children for years. And they live in a, in a different country. And he has some sort of, uh, of difficulty walking, so he walks with a cane. He was so blessed by my wife's cookies. I'm blessed by my wife's cookies. You know what I'm a little too blessed. And so I walked over there on Christmas. I delivered this plate of cookies. He was almost going to cry. It was the sweetest moment. And at that moment, I could see the hurt. I could see the loneliness just being lifted a little bit from him. He has no family. And I've never seen any visitors go over to his place, ever. And he replied with the most sincere and gentle, Oh, thank you. And it's not that we want to manipulate him, but it would be a little strange if, if, you know, if I did it some other time, right? Some other time when, when kindness isn't as readily accepted. And it may just seem a little out of place. And what better time than Christmas when someone may, may feel forgotten or insignificant? And when we first moved to our place, I wondered about that particular neighbor because my dog Joey attacked him. He didn't bite him. He didn't cause physical harm or anything, but he charged at him and with his hackles up and his fangs showing, right? And he might have emotionally scarred the poor man and might have brought him closer to a heart attack. But, but I think he forgave me. And he's really a sweet dog. Um, but, but he just doesn't like strangers, especially around my wife and my kids. So here's a nice guy walking, walking around with his cane, minding his own business in front of his own house. And here comes Cujo Corner coming around, pinning him against the fence, right? Barking, snarling, salivating with his demon-possessed eyes. Right? So I apologized profusely. I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. He's just like, it's crazy. And then, but I didn't know what was going to happen moving forward. I thought to myself, that blows any chance of a relationship with that guy. And to make things worse, Joey did it every time he was out and my neighbor was out. And if he was off leash, he would bolt right over to him and he would pin him on the fence of his car. And, right? and then when he was on leash, he'd be like lunging and going crazy. I'm like, oh, holding back with all my strength. Get out of here, man. Get out. Right? And then, but after the cookies, after the cookies, we have a relationship that is more than calling off my dog. We, we actually wave to one another, right? I help him out every so often with some yard work or taking out his trash or recycling or whatever. And I actually really need to do it more often. Um, we have conversations here and there that we can get a little deeper and a little bit more in depth and stuff like that. So, so pray and you look for opportunities to bless people. For some, it may simply be an invitation to the men's poker night that happened yesterday or maybe cookies or birthday cake. And it's not all that difficult because we all have neighbors. We all have colleagues. Just start out with the people around you and the circumstances you find yourself around. Uh, The the people around your neighborhood. You know, bless them. 
See how you can be of service to them and make them feel accepted and wanted, especially during this time. And ask them how you can pray for them. People open up more this time of year. They're they're more open to sharing about themselves and things going on in their life. Cookies brought out the most intimate details of my neighbor's life. That's where I found out about his divorce. That's where I found out that he hasn't seen his kids in years, that they lived in another country, that there's no contact. I found out all that stuff then. I wasn't looking for them. He presented them, he presented them to me because a simple, kind gesture was made. And an interest was taken to find out more about him. And Jesus wants to include the marginalized into his family. He wants the, the popular included into his family. And, he, and we personify this invitation, this invitation to the outcast, this invitation to the popular. From prostitutes to kings, God desires to be in relationship with all of them. And Jesus was born to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Christmas. Christmas. Introduce people to Jesus. Christmas. Let's pray. God, we love you. And I pray, God, that we can do more than just tell you. That we show you that we love you. And God, some of us lack the courage to do something uh, that uh, you would desire for us to do. Some of us lack the creativity. Some of us lack the initiative. Some of us lack whatever it may be. And I ask God for that first step to just ask you, to pray to you and ask you, what is it, God, that I need to do? What is it that I need to do to bless people, to pray for people? And in faith, Lord, I know that you're going to respond and answer, answer us. God, thank you for sending your son to be on this earth, being born and living and then dying and then resurrecting again. In Jesus' name, amen.